again, my name is Matt, one of the pastor elders here, and so, so good to just be able to sing together and praise the Lord. We're going to be diving back into the book of Mark today. I think we've been out of it since the middle or the very end, I guess, of November. Um, so, I don't know, five, six weeks that we moved away from the book of Mark for a, a season while we talked about other things. And again, Mark chapter 3 is where we're going to be picking up. I'd love for you to turn there if you have a Bible in your pew, on your phone, or whatever it is. Um, though, if you use the one on your phone, make sure that's all you do. Um, none of those games and all whatnot. So anyway, uh, Mark chapter 3 is where we're going to be beginning. Let me just begin by saying that none of us are so privileged in this life that we do not face this world's or our own problems without at times being overwhelmed. Amen? There are times when we are unable to deal with everything that is going on. There are times when, when the weight of this world, the burdens that we face, the brokenness of the world in particular, and I would say the need for Jesus in a broken world can be incredibly overwhelming for us. And I just want you to know it should be. It should be, because things are not what they are supposed to be. As we return to the book of Mark today, a quick reminder of what we've seen so far, namely that Jesus has spent, and it's about the last year, a little, little less than a year, give or take, different scholars think different timelines, teaching and preaching across the countryside of Israel. In that time, he has healed numerous people. He has cast many demons out, and it has been an exciting time. Where we left off when we were here last was in Mark chapter 3. We finished in verse 6, and what we know is that with increasing popularity comes increased problems. And so, the end of that first paragraph in Mark 3, verse 6, says the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Where we finished was in Jesus having a very real threat of destruction, of death, of, of being attacked by his enemies, and, and it's with that that we actually dive into our passage here. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and moving through this paragraph and most of the next as we complete our time today. So let me read this for us again, Mark chapter 3, verse 7 and on. Remember, this is straight out of the threat of the Pharisees and the Herodians seeking to destroy Jesus, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. 
and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now that's where we're going to end today. We'll, Lord willing, be working our way through verses 16 and the end of the paragraph next week. As we come into this, what we see is really a problem and a solution. It's also kind of a recap. This was a great spot to leave off as we left off in November and take a pause and then come back because we get the very recap of what's going on, that Jesus has been doing all this and all these things are happening. And then we get the transition as he calls the first disciples to be then apostles. What we want to look at today is the problem, and we want to look at the solution as we would see it, and as we might be encouraged by it, I hope. And so starting with the problem, we begin looking in verse 7, and Mark begins to give us the details. He starts with these words, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. Now, a quick note, he withdrew. Why? Because he is literally fleeing or leaving the threat of the Pharisees and the Herodians. He has taken those whom are his closest followers, those who are actually seeking to be his people, and he goes. Some of us may, might take note of this. Jesus was absolutely in the right. Jesus was absolutely doing everything as he was supposed to. And yet he is the one that moves on away from conflict rather than continuing to embrace it over and over again. He moves on. Some of us are so stubborn and need to be right all the time that we are never willing to let go and move back. But that's exactly what Jesus does here. So he withdraws to the countryside, to the sea. Now, you can imagine this. Jesus has taken his closest with him, his friends with him, those who have been following him. But along with them comes this crowd, this what's called a great crowd. It's a multitude. It is many. And I got to tell you, if I was doing my best to get away from the problems of popularity, I would probably not want a crowd to follow. And you can actually picture Jesus as he's trying to get away from the turmoil of this so he can focus on what needs to be focused on. And there's this crowd coming. Mark paints this great picture of the crowd as he gives us the whole regions, all the places where they're from. A great crowd followed from Galilee. That's the northern country. And Judea, that's the southern country. And Jerusalem, which is kind of there in the center and the most important city in the region. And Idumea, which is a little bit further south of there and basically is completely worthless and nobody cares about it. He goes on, and from beyond the Jordan, that's to the east, across the Jordan, as you get to the farthest eastern border of Israel... 
And then from Tyre and Sidon, which is kind of the northern western coast. Also a place where it was majority Gentile, majority non-Jew. And so Mark is painting this picture. He says there are people from all over, right? He's giving us the boundaries of the entire nation of Israel. And this is stunning. Because it's not just about where they're from, it's what that represents because they are from literally every place where the original 12 tribes of Israel settled. Even those that refused to cross the Jordan River and be part of Israel proper. So not only is this a great crowd, but theologically it is meant to represent all the people of God. All those for whom Jesus knows he came to die for and save. So he's got this crowd of great need that represents to him the very reason he came, the death that he will be going into. He, he goes there to flee from the reality of that death in that moment because he's not ready for it yet. That time will come. And what he finds is an entire crowd that does nothing but remind him of that death and its oncoming and his purpose. And they are so full of need. They are so full of need. So many troubles, so many problems. Mark actually tells us in verse Nine, that Jesus tells his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. Why? Lest they crush him. But the crowd is so just needy that their needs and their wants and their desires actually threaten the very life of Jesus. They just want to get near him. Now, you can imagine the crowds pressing in. You can imagine that crushing desire. At least I hope you can. Because if you can't imagine that pressing desire and need of the crowd, then it may be because you have never actually realized your great need for Jesus. See, my fear is not that we would make too much of Jesus. It's that we make far too little of Jesus. And that far too many of us, if Jesus was walking down the road on the other side, would let him keep walking uninterrupted rather than going up to him and declaring how much we need him. The crowd is absolutely in the right place, even if they are doing so selfishly and, and blind to not only what they're doing, but the trouble they're causing him. This is the creator of the universe, the Holy One, and awesome is he. So awesome, in fact, their need overwhelms their sense. And so Jesus is in danger. And I think about just the weight pressing in on Jesus in this moment that even his command to his disciples, hey, be ready. <laughs> I might need to flee. Now, the interesting thing is, is he asks his disciples to get the boat ready, but nowhere in the text does it tell us he actually gets into the boat. In fact, the implication I think that Mark lays out for us is that even as those with diseases crushed in upon him, and even those with demons that need to be cast out continue to get to him, Jesus continues to respond in compassion rather than fleeing. 
He lets their broken sense and their great need control his love. And he responds to them as much as he can. But, but there's only one Jesus and there is a multitude. There's only one Jesus and there is a multitude. This is the problem that we see in our passage. There is not enough of Jesus to go around. And let me just say, in some ways, that is the same problem we have today. As we think about all the need around us, all of our loved ones who don't know Christ, our neighbors, even the addicts down the street that we wish didn't live down the street, all in desperate need of Jesus, and they don't even know it, they're not crowding in. They're not busting through the doors of the church, but we wish they were. Amen? We want to see Jesus work in their lives and in our family members' lives and in our lives in this same way. But there always seems so little to go around. Church, what I want us to just pause on and think about in this moment is that the problem that was faced then is the same problem we have today. A little too few of Jesus to go around. Now, before we come back into this, I also want to take a really quick kind of note side detour here. Because for some of us, we're, we're set to be thinking about the ministry. We're set to be thinking about the kingdom. We are set to be thinking about what God is calling us to do as a church, to be and to go and, and, and all those things. But I also know there's at least one or two people for sure in this room who are not there where they are is sitting in the seat completely overwhelmed with life. And the moment that I am going to start and continue to push out what we're supposed to do and be as a church, it's going to lose those people. I don't want to do that. So let me just tell you, if you're sitting here and you are overwhelmed and you can't find up from down right now, then I want you to notice something about Jesus because he's experiencing that same thing. Jesus didn't walk in your shoes, but he walked in shoes really similar. He knows what it's like to be attacked. He knows what it's like to be overwhelmed. He knows what it's like to be exhausted. And if you just need to hear that today and know that Jesus came for you in that, I want you to hear that. Now, the solutions that we're going to move forward and look at actually apply to you too. There's a lot of health that's found in those. But what we see as we move forward is more of a focus and more of a direction as far as the scripture goes in a calling of who the church is supposed to be moving forward. And so we've looked at the problem, right? Too little Jesus. So what's the solution? Well, let's look at the solution. We're going to look at three things for this solution. Number one, starting in verse 9, he puts his disciples to work. Okay, number one, he puts his disciples to work. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. One of the things I love about this passage is that very clearly Jesus takes the very skills of some of the disciples that he called and he puts them to use. Right, he had called fishermen, worthy seamen, out 
from their boats and out from their nets. He had called them, come follow me. And what does he do? One of the first things he ever asks them to do is return to their boats and return to the skills that they had and return to the gifts and the talents that they had. And he pulls that out and he says, go and use this. I love that. He had said, hey, look, you're not going to be fishers of, of fish anymore. You're going to be fishers of men now. And he continues to use that. Let me just tell you, you don't know if you are a disciple of Christ, what God will use from your old life to be an asset in your new life. This is one of the great things, great things about the gospel, amazing things about Christ, is he can take anything from our past and use it for good and glory. And so it may be a profession, it may be a hobby, it may be an interest, it may be something you love, or it might be the thing you are most ashamed about in your entire life. And he can use that for his glory and for the good of somebody. It might be an addiction, it might be a pain, right? It might be and land in a one-off conversation with someone that needs to hear about that thing in your past and how God used that thing to bring you to where you are today that they need to hear. Or that could become a lifelong ministry where that thing about you that you hate the most is the very thing God will use every day for the rest of your life to reach people for the glory of the gospel. It does not matter who you have been or what you have been. He can use that for his glory. He puts his disciples to work. He takes stock of those around him and he puts them to work. And this is what he does. This is what he does all through the Gospels. But you think about the time when there was another crowd and, and he fed them. He did the miracle, but what did he do? They did the work, right? They handed out the food. They collected the leftovers and counted it at the end. And he got the glory. This year, we are resetting this church. If you've been here for a while, you know that. If you're brand new here, you don't know that. But hear this. We are in many ways resetting the church. Some of you have been itching to get working. You are just ready to move to the next thing. You want the next, and we're going to get there. Others have been way too content to just kind of sit around and watch. Let me just tell you, if you are here for very long, if you stick it out with us as we continue to reset and continue to grow, God is going to use you. And if you don't want that, I want to be honest with you now. This may not be the place for you. Because we need to be a place where we see God put disciples to work. And that's what we're going to be. Okay, so that's the first part of the solution. Not enough, not enough Jesus to go around. Well, he puts the disciples to work. Second, and hear this. Some of us really need to hear this. I'm just going to tell you, I really needed to hear this this week. He goes off by himself. There is so much to do. He is overwhelmed with the task in front of him. He can't possibly minister to every broken, hurting person in this crowd. And so what does he do? He goes off by himself. Verse 13, and he went up on the mountain. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. Now, Mark doesn't make this quite as clear as Luke does in chapter 6. But I will point out here before I go to Luke chapter 6 that he went up on the mountain 
and called to him those whom he desired. So first he goes up in the mountain, and then he calls those he desires to come. Now in Luke chapter 6, it actually tells us that he goes up in the mountain and spends the whole night praying by himself, and then calls the disciples. Okay, so he's got every pressure, every problem of the world laid upon his shoulders, and what does he do? He goes off and he spends time praying by himself. Why do we need to pay attention to this so much? Because if you are anything like me and most people, there are two very common things we do when we are most overwhelmed. Number one, we buckle down, we grab our bootstraps, and we get working. Amen? You know who you are, right? The, the harder things are, the harder you're going. And you hit the pillow at night and you sleep for about an hour and a half and you wake up first thing in the morning and you keep going. Ranchers, I'm talking to you. Right? The harder things go, the harder you push. Okay, that's number one. Option number two. Rather than buckling down, grabbing bootstraps and getting working, you bail out, give up, and shut down. And you know who you are too. Right? Things get hard, things get overwhelmed, and what do we, we just, I just, I can't make a difference, I can't work, I, I'm just done. Now, I will let you in on a little secret about your pastor. I am number one, and then I am number two on this, okay? When I get overwhelmed, I buckle down, I get working, I grab bootstraps, I get going. But then I hit a certain point when I realize that nothing is help. And so then I shut down, and I give up. Now, I will just tell you, as many times as I've preached on this, taught this, led this, I'm not sure I am still yet closer to that goal of not doing this. Every single one of us, every single one of us, when things get hard, the question is, what do you do? Look at Jesus. He's overwhelmed. Problems of the world are weighing him down. There's not enough of him to go around. And so he takes time and he goes off by himself and he prays. He goes and spends quiet time on the mountain praying. I just love that. And, and I, I'm pausing here because I want that to set in before we move to something else. Right? Jesus puts his disciples to work and then he goes off by himself. Now, I think that's all the more so, and this is a bit of speculation as you read the passage, but as I read this passage, I begin to wonder, right, Jesus goes up, he spends the night by himself, where are his disciples at this point, and where are the crowd, right? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, the last time Jesus left, the crowd followed. This time Jesus leaves, the crowd doesn't follow. My guess is because the disciples are still with the crowd, keeping them from following Jesus up the mountain. Now, again, I want to be really clear. This is speculation. This is not what the Bible teaches. But here's what I know. When I think about my own life, and I think about the ministry that I've been called to, and I think about the ministry that, that I've trained others in and equipped for and watched them go do ministry, here's one of the first steps that always happens. We try to do it completely alone. And as a result, we get incredibly overwhelmed and incredibly frustrated. And that is the kindness of God. It is the kindness of God that when we go off on our own, trying to do the ministry he's called us without him, we are frustrated, we are overwhelmed, and we are broken. 
My guess is that's where the disciples found themselves in this moment. Right, there they are. They're still with the crowd. They're still with the crowd, and they have none of the power to heal, and they have none of the power to cast demons out, and they have no authority to teach, and all is not going well. But here's the thing. Here's what happens so quickly. He went up to the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired. He did not leave them in that place for very long, right? They're there. They're still down the mountain. They're still down there with the crowd, dealing with whatever the crowd's going through. And then he calls them, and he says, come to me. And he calls them up. And that is actually the third part of the solution that we see Jesus work here is that he calls them. He calls whom he desires. Verse 13 and 14, he went up on the mountain. He called to him those whom he desired. What does it mean he desired? It literally means those he wants. He calls to himself those whom he wants. And they came to him. Now that's stunning to me. Because we know what kind of men these are. And and you should also know that at this point, we're not just talking about the 12. We're talking about all of the disciples of Jesus at this point, which is men and women from all kinds of backgrounds. And they're a mess. But Jesus calls him those whom he wants. And what I want you to hear today, somebody in this room I think needs to hear this today, is that he may be calling you to be one of those to respond to him in such a way that you would get to meet with him on the mountain. If you're a disciple of Christ, it is because he called you, he desired you, he wanted you to be his, and so he invited you to himself. And if you came, then you responded to that call. Now we're told why. We're told why. Now, he calls those whom he desires, and they came to him. And then verse 14, it says this, and he appointed 12. Now, here's the implication. Again, Luke actually makes this even clearer in his passage. That he didn't just call the 12 he desired to be his closest followers. He called many to be his disciples. And out of that many, he appointed 12 very specifically to be apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. We see a threefold call in this on the disciples who become apostles. They're invited to three things. Number one, they're invited to be with him. They are invited to be with him. That's so amazing. He appointed 12 so that they might be with him. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls this companionship. He's literally inviting them to be in relationship with him. He is inviting them to be in this close friendship. Why? Well, scriptures tell us why. There's a number of reasons. One, because he loves us and he wants to be with us. We're told that. In John 14, 25 through 26, we're actually told this by Jesus. This is shortly before he goes, before he dies, and before he gives the Holy Spirit. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. 
but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. They're called to be with him so that they will learn from him. They will hear him. And in the end, the Spirit will remind them of everything he taught. Now, it was common practice at this time that disciples of really anyone would just be those who would spend a ton of time with their teacher. It was true in secular philosophers and the way that they trained up disciples. And it was true for the great Pharisees at the time as well. You just spent a ton of time with your teacher. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want that they might be with him. Now, I want to point out one really quick thing here. The 12 who are not being appointed as apostles are those who are called to be with him. But that doesn't exclude the rest of the disciples from being with him. In verse 13, it says, He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. Those other disciples still got to spend a lot of time with Jesus. But the 12 got to spend all the more. All right? So that's the first reason, was companionship, friendship. The second reason he calls them is to be sent out, to be apostles. Apostles literally just means sent ones. Sent ones. They are those he is going to send. His purpose for these 12 is that they would go out and where they had only been one of him before, now there are 12 more preaching and teaching. Right? What he's saying is, I want you to come be with me so that I can send you out. Now, if you've been here at Calvary for very long, you know that one of the things I like to teach and will continually remind us is that Scripture teaches us that the church, you and I, will do more than Jesus did for the kingdom of God. And that's always a stunning thing whenever we talk about it. And there's always somebody who is astonished and shocked at that truth. But this is the exact reason why the Holy Spirit empowers believers. And then where there was one Jesus who ministered in an area not much larger than the San Luis Valley, now there were 12. And those 12 would not only minister alongside Jesus in that time, but after he was gone, they would spread out and begin to spread out to the whole world. And as that, that pattern continued, as they raised up disciples, it would continue and continue and to continue. Right? It's all empowered by Jesus. Any work that his disciples do is all attributed and accredited to Christ. But the church literally does more for the kingdom of God than Jesus did while he walked this earth. That's a high calling, amen? So the problem was there wasn't enough of Jesus to minister to all the people. His solution was to multiply himself in the lives of his disciples, particularly his apostles, okay? So he invites them to, to companionship. He invites them to be with him. He invites them to send out, and he invites them, we see, third, into authority and power. And that's the tail end of, of this section. As we start in 14, he appointed the 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, it was, at the time, incredibly common. I believe it is still incredibly common in the world today that as the kingdom moves, 
from where it has ground to where it does not have ground or to where it once had ground and is reclaiming ground, that there is a battle taking place between good and evil. Many times we will often ask, I get this question often, why don't we experience what they experience? Why don't we experience demons the way they did? Now, there's a number of answers that we could kind of work forward in this. I will tell you the number one reason why I think we don't. And it is because we are not ready for it. We're not ready for it. If we were, I think we would see it far more often. Now, some of us have. We've encountered that. I have in the course of my ministry at various times. But if a demon suddenly presented itself here today, what would be your response be? Would you be ready to deal with that or not? See, the thing is, as we approach this passage, we walk through these three reasons why Jesus calls. And he says, number one, I'm calling them to be with me. The second reason that he's calling them is to be equipped to send out in preaching and ministry. And third is to have authority and power. We should pay attention to the order here. Because we never get to number three if we never accomplish, if we never start in number one. Order is important. If you don't spend that time with Jesus, then you never get to the other ones. I knew a young man once, he was desperate to be a church planter. I mean, he was building his entire life on being a church planter. He wanted to be a church planter. We spent two years training this guy up, me and some other folks working with him so that we could send him out to, to plant a church for the glory of God. And, and we got nowhere as we moved forward with him. Finally, after two years, we discovered that he never spent any time ever with Jesus. And suddenly it all made sense. Because without time with Jesus, he had become powerless in his life and ministry. His lack of companionship with Jesus had led to the powerlessness that we could see, but we didn't know what the source was until we finally did. Going back here, as we begin and come to this time, this, this part, I want to point out one more thing for us, and that's back in verse 14. It says, and he appointed 12 so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. We see that word appointed and, and we assume that means he selected them. R.C. Sproul in talking about this passage, particularly this word says, this word has a lot less to do with being selected and more to do with being created. See, we may assume as we read this passage that these 12 he pulls out, they were the best of that group of disciples. They were gifted, talented, right? That they had education, they had skills, they had things that could lend themselves to Jesus. But it actually says he, he picked them out for this because he would make them into what they would be. And church, we are made into what Christ wants us to be by spending time with him, by being with him. And that's exactly what happened with these disciples. Now, we 
see the fullness of this come after he dies and is resurrected. The Holy Spirit comes, and these 12, really 11, because one of them really messed it up. But these 12 then get sent out in new ways, and they really come to the fruition of this. But I want to show you something. This begins right now for them. See, they've all just been called. They're being with Jesus. They're there. And when we go to Luke chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, which Betsy read for us early, earlier, we see something entirely different from what we have already encountered in Mark. It's one of the reasons we need, we need to read our Bibles together. Right? We read lots of the words so that it's all in our heads and hearts at the same time. In Luke chapter 6, we see this same um, bit where Jesus calls the 12 apostles. We already talked about some of the differences there. Um, He went up to the mountain to pray. It says that. There's some other things here. But here's what it says after all of this, after this section. Verse 17, Luke 6, 17. He came down with them and stood on a level place. So picture this. He He has come down the mountain that he was on praying. He's called them up. They all come down. He comes down with them and stood in a level place with a great crowd of his disciples, all of them, not just 12, and a great multitude of people, hear this, from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Luke is bringing us back to where we just were before all of this. You know, in that moment when when Jesus was overwhelmed by the crowd and by the needs of the crowd and the needs of everyone and and everything going on. That he leaves, he goes up the mountain, he calls his disciples, he comes back down, the crowd's still waiting for him. Nothing's changed in the crowd. Here's what it says. They came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him. And hear these last few words, and healed them all. So we go from Mark, in this crowd where Jesus leaves, with some of them, many of them not yet healed. He comes back down with his disciples, and what happens? They all get healed. Here's the difference between Mark and Luke, these bits of the story. Jesus calls his disciples to work and he equips them and he empowers them to do what he's doing. They come down the mountain, the power still comes out of him, but this time everyone is healed. there's not enough Jesus to go around, it's because his disciples are not working. Jesus' model here is to go from not enough of him to enough, and he uses his disciples to, to make that equation work. He uses his church So maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, it's time for me to get to work. It is. (laughs) It is. There is a great need in this world, and this world needs Jesus. And Jesus has chosen to use disciples like you and I for that purpose. So maybe you're sitting here and that's where you're at. Or maybe you're sitting here going, you know what, I... 
I think today's the day Jesus is just calling me. And the invitation for all of us is that we would respond to the work of the Spirit moving in us that would either lead us into greater ministry or maybe the work of the Spirit that's leading you into salvation today as he works in your heart, in your mind, in your life. Wherever you're at today, I just want you to know that we are so glad you're here. That we get the opportunity to worship here. We get the opportunity to grow together and to see what it's like to be disciples together and to see and to dream about what God is going to do in the St. Louis Valley and beyond as we say yes to him and go where he goes. The reminder for all of us is that it starts by being with Jesus. If you're not with Jesus, if you're not spending time with Jesus, praying in the word, gathered with church, then you'll never get down that road. And so maybe this is a great opportunity for you to make a decision in your life that says, all right, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to walk something different because Jesus has already done all this for me. And if that's you today, I invite you to pray. I invite you to ask him to help you. I invite you to ask him into your heart. And if that's you and you want to grow, then we need to have some conversations. And if you want to know how you can serve here at Calvary or in the community, we need to have some conversations because we are all called to this. And I look forward to getting to do all of this with each one of you.